ever been told by someone that they saw you somewhere, but the place that they say they saw you in, you know for a fact you were not present in, or know you have never been to? Has someone ever claimed to see you appear in two very far away places close to the same time that would be impossible to travel within the time frame in question? Has anyone ever told you that you look very similar to someone else they know or have seen? Has anyone ever claimed to talk to you in or at a time or place you know for a fact you were not in? Well, my friends and listeners, it's possible that you have a doppelganger. Doppelganger is a word of German origins that when translated to English means double-goer or double walker. In modern vernacular, doppelganger is loosely sometimes used to describe two separate things that appear similar. Its original usage, however, was used to describe a literal entity that when spotted was a premonition of bad things to come. The Monster's Lair is a proud member of the Myriad Podcast Network. stepped inside the monster's lair. Enter if you dare. Survive if you can.
A doppelganger is a biologically unrelated lookalike or a double of a living person. In the realm of the paranormal and in mythology, a doppelganger is often portrayed as a ghostly or paranormal phenomenon, an entity or a demonic being that is usually seen as a harbinger of bad luck or an omen of death. Other traditions and stories equate a doppelganger with an evil twin. In modern times, the term twin stranger is occasionally used. The word doppelganger is often used in more general and neutral sense and in slang to describe any person who physically resembles another person. The word doppelganger is a loan word from the Germans, a compound noun formed by combining two nouns doppel meaning double and ganger meaning walker or goer. The singular and plural forms are the same in German, using the doppelganger to describe both but English users, such as myself and most of the listeners, usually prefer the plural. Doppelgangers. The first known use of the word in the slightly different form doppelganger with a T occurs in the novel Sabinkus, written in 1796 by author Jean Paul, in which he explains his newly coined word in a footnote. The word doppelganger also appears in the novel, but with a different meaning. Sabinkus is a novel about the life of Fermian Stanislaus Sabinkus and is told in a comedic style. Unhappily married, Sabinkus goes to consult his friend, Liebgeber, who in reality is his alter ego or doppelganger. Liebgeber convinces Sabinkus to fake his own death in order to begin a new life. Sabinkus takes the advice of his alter ego and soon meets the beautiful Natalie. The two then fall in love. In German, the word is written as is usual with German nouns with an initial capital letter. In English, the word is generally written with the lowercase letter and the umlaut on the letter A is usually dropped. The first ever visual depiction of the phenomenon of doppelgangers is featured in a painting entitled How They Met Themselves and is a watercolor done by artist Dante Gabriel Rossetti an English poet, illustrator, painter, and translator. The painting depicts a couple in medieval dress walking through a gloomy forest encountering their doubles, exactly alike in dress and face. The doubles are outlined in a manner to depict a glowing light. The man is seen drawing his sword as his lover collapses in a deathly swoon, her arms outstretched towards her onlooking twin. Several versions of how they met themselves exist. The earliest version, being a pen and ink drawing, was created by Rossetti in 1851, when he was only 23, clearly suggesting that he was interested in the idea of doppelgangers from early on in his artistic career. There's an 1860 watercolor version that was actually painted on Rossetti's honeymoon with Elizabeth Seidel and the couple in the painting are portraits of Rossetti and Seidel themselves. Rossetti called it his bogey drawing, a bogey being a word from his period to describe an evil spirit and was clearly fixated by the haunting, doom-laden quality of the image. I can dig it. A third version was painted in watercolor in 1864, which means the original drawing depicting doppelgangers has many doppelgangers itself.
the subject of double has a long history, particularly in literature. Examples of beings and instances occurring involving doubles similar to doppelgangers can be found going all the way back to Greek mythology. The prime example of this being a story depicting Narcissus falling in love with his own reflection believing it was another person who looked exactly like him. This story is where the modern term Narcissus comes from, as many already know. There are many creatures throughout various cultures folklore under different names that are essentially doppelgangers as well. There are the Fetch, a fae from Irish folklore, the Ka from Egyptian myth, the Vardoger from Norse belief, and in Norman, Breton, and Cornish folklore, the Being, who is what they believe to be the personification of death, Anku, who I spoke about briefly in the Grim Reaper episode of The Monster's Lair, has the ability to be a doppelganger as well. So, listeners, let's dive a bit deeper into doppelgangers, a bit, and break down some of the pieces that make up this vast, varied, and interesting subject of the paranormal. As mentioned earlier, there's the tale of Narcissus, who falls in love with his reflection, believing it to be a double. This may be the earliest tale of a double, but certainly is not the only in literature. Examples of doubles appear all over. In Gothic tales such as Edgar Allan Poe's William Wilson from 1839, a short story from the depressed, dour, and dapper master of Gothic horror about a man of a noble descent who calls himself William Wilson, who meets a young boy by the same name, looks exactly how William looked as a kid and was born on the same date of January 19th. This date was significant to Poe as this date was also his birthday. This tale boils down to rationality, logic, and insanity. Scottish author James Hogg's private memoirs and Confessions of a Justified Sinner from 1824 is a novel about a character named Robert Ringham, a staunch Calvinist who believes he is guaranteed salvation and justified in killing those he believes are already damned by God. Many of the events of the novel are narrated twice, first by the editor, who gives his account of the facts as he understands them to be, and then in the words of the sinner himself. Thusly, the story is told from different perspectives simultaneously, a move in literature at this time that was seemingly way ahead of its time. English novelist Elizabeth Gaskell's short story, The Poor Clare from 1856, centers around a girl named Lucy who is unwittingly cursed by her deceased grandmother in the form of being tormented by the constant presence of a trouble-making demonic doppelganger. Hans Christian Andersen's lesser-read fairy tale, The Shadow, is very similar in that characters are haunted and followed by their often malevolent likenesses. The doppelganger theme occurs again and again and shows the long-time fascination with the potential existence of a double. Well, 
One well-known documentation of a reported doppelganger sighting involves one of the most beloved, famous, and celebrated figures of United States history. Former President Abe Lincoln once had a harrowing encounter with his own double. The 16th President of the United States, advocate of American race relations and reunifier of the country post-American Civil War, is one of the few who claims to have seen his doppelganger. He stated that he saw his double reflected in a mirror on the night he was first elected to office. He was quoted as saying, Looking in that glass, I saw myself reflected nearly at full length, but my face, I noticed, had two separate and distinct images, the tip of the nose of one being about three inches from the tip of the other. I was a little bothered, but the illusion vanished. On lying down again, I saw it a second time, plainer, if possible, than before, and then I noticed the one of the faces was a little paler, say five shades, than the other. While Lincoln may have found the phenomenon simply strange, his wife, Mary Todd Lincoln, a devout believer in the paranormal and avid spiritualist, interpreted the appearance of President Lincoln's double as an omen of tragedy to come. An eerie thought, considering what we know would soon come of the president's assassination at the Ford Theater at the hands of former actor and Confederate sympathizer John Wilkes Booth. According to the retelling of this somewhat famous tale, she allegedly read his vision to say that he would be indeed be elected for a second term of presidency, hence his visage appearing to him doubled on the night of his election, but that the sickly, ghastly, emaciated appearance of his doppelganger signified that he wouldn't live through his second term. As we know now, both of these supposed predictions turned out to be true. Strangely enough, President Lincoln is not the only famous leader of a country purported to have witnessed their own double. World-famous female icon Catherine the Great, the Empress of Russia throughout the 18th century and the longest ruling female leader in the country's history, had a haunting and sinister encounter with a doppelganger shortly before her death in 1796. This incident, some would later call Catherine the Great's deathly omen, took place one night after servants of her estate woke her frantically from her slumber. The servants claimed that they had seen her visage, plain as day, sitting silently in her throne room. Confused, Catherine accompanied them back to the throne room, only to indeed find her double sitting silently on the throne, plain as day. Catherine reportedly ordered for her servants to shoot her double, you know, as one does in Russia. After this incident, just a week later, Catherine died suddenly of a stroke. Is it possible her double appeared to her as a deathly omen, foreshadowing the sudden and tragic events to come? Alright listeners, now that we've learned more a little bit about doppelgangers, let's switch gears here and hear some first-hand encounter tales of real-life doppelgangers. What's up guys, how's it going? It's the Bearded Breed right here, Pauly Manners. And before I start, I have to say, you know, the layer itself is is not that bad. As long as you don't try to escape before you're allowed to, then it, it's kind of welcoming. 
Anyhow, uh, I've got some paranormal experiences that I would like to share. And, well, I'll start with this. Start with the earliest one. We are just moving into our new house, a house that would become my home for many, many years. And I am fifth grade. I think I'm in fifth grade, yeah. And we're barely there for a couple weeks. And we're still like, well, I need to unpack my stuff still. But my brother is coming home and I and he's been in Arizona for like two years. So it's been my first time seeing him. And I'm super stoked about it, right? I've been looking forward to it all day. I get back from school. I go into my room. And my room used to be a garage. It was converted. Uh, so you walk through the living room, through the dining room, through the kitchen, and take two steps down on these cement steps. And now you're in my bedroom, right? So I'm unpacking. And I'm facing the window, which would have been the garage door. I'm facing the window and I'm unpacking. Now, I need to say this. My family are huggers. Right, we are huggers. Um, so I'm unpacking, and I hear my front door open, right? And I hear the footsteps coming, and then I hear my brother. I hear my brother. He's like, "What's up, man? How's it going? Right? What are you doing?" And I should have known from the gate because this is this is weird. No impulse in me wanted to get up and give him a hug. I didn't turn around. I didn't look at him like nothing. We just talked as if he was there forever and, you know, and we have a nice long conversation. We talked about what he did. He, he told me instances of things he did in Arizona, right? He told me full stories. And I would tell him how I was doing at the new school about, you know, little like making new friends, stuff like that. So we're talking for a good half an hour. And never once did I turn around. Never once did I ever turn around and look at him. And he's sitting, I had this rocking chair in there. It wasn't, it was like a glider, really. But he's sitting on there and you could hear it could creak. So you hear it gliding back and forth. And we're talking for like a half an hour. And then I see my mom, uh, my mom's van pull up. And she double honks. You know? And normally that means groceries. So I go outside to get the groceries and thinking of it, I got up, had to turn around, walk out of my room. I don't remember seeing my brother there. I don't remember seeing him in the chair. I don't even remember looking towards it, right? So I walk outside and I see my brother get out of the car. He goes over there. He gives me a big old hug, right? He's all excited. Uh, of course, he has me get his bags. Um, and I'm very confused. I'm sure I looked, you know, shell-shocked, if anything. But I just had a 30-minute conversation with him, a real conversation, right? I told him about Adam, my the friend I just met. I told him about the new school. He told me about things he did with my uncle in Arizona. Uh, he was telling me about a, a arcade in Mesa, this two-story arcade. 
And, you know, it was a real conversation. And then he appears out of my mom's car. It, <laughs> it was very confusing. Very confusing. But then, like, as time goes on over the years, more occurrences happens in that house. Uh, uh, visuals of a young boy, a young Caucasian boy. Uh, my mom seen him in the backyard while she was doing dishes. Um, she was looking out the window. Seen him in the backyard. My sister seen him in the bathroom. There's even an occasion where my nephew at the time, he was like three maybe. We have like a family dinner or it was a breakfast. We're all sitting at the, in the living room, all of us. We have big family breakfasts. There are probably like 40 people in my house, right? Well, we're all of us are in the living room. And my nephew is sitting on those cement steps and we had converted my bedroom into another family room, right? Because I think my sister moved out or something like that. So I got my own bedroom, like a real bedroom. <laughs> Anyhow, my nephew's sitting on those steps and he's talking and talking and talking. And my mom turns and says, Mio, who are you talking to? And he says, the people on the couch. So my sister runs over there, grabs him up, right? And she looks and she, I don't want to say any bad words. I don't, know, I don't know what the rules are on cussing on this show. But she says, holy shoot, right? And she turns around and her face is just white, just white, just flushed. And she's like, there is nobody there. <laughs> it's all bad. Um, yeah, so we had multiple occurrences in that house but never nothing that was aggressive never nothing that ever seemed like it was threatening or harmful nothing like that it was just a young boy and 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 hmm, maybe more because my nephew did say he's talking to the people on the couch but he was three maybe it was just you know one person i don't know anyway Years and years later, I move out to the country. Um, I'm there for a little bit. It's an unfinished house, uh, country, country. Like, my nearest neighbor is, like, three blocks down, two blocks down, something like that. Um, and I'm there, and, you know, little things happen. It's a great spot. Great, uh, a lot of play area for the kids outside, big property, um, but you know the fin the finished was unkitchened. The kitchen was unfinished. Uh, I think one of the rooms needed to be painted. We moved in there and it was not completely done, right? Anyway, I would sit there. Another instance actually where a garage was converted into a family room. Um, I would sit there with my couch facing the back of my couch facing the hallway. So late at night, I'll put my kids down, right? They're going to bed. I'd sit there in the living room, and I'm either playing my game or watching TV. And they're all the time. You know, they're young boys. So at the corner of my eye, I would see like either a shadow or something move or something, right? And I'd be like, boys, go back to bed, you know? So I'll tell them and give them a couple minutes, then I'll go over there and check on them, right? And they're out. They're just asleep. Never think anything of it. All right, anyway, we had some... Uh, some well we were robbed twice 
in that house. <laughs> they wiped this out, right? So we end up moving moving out. And now the landlord is my dad's friend. So about a month later or so, another family moves in. And they're gone within the month. So a couple months go by and another family moves in. And they're gone within the month. But this time, this second family shows the landlord a video. Well, sends him a video on the phone. And he's walking around and just major, uh, I guess you would call it poltergeist activity. I mean, doors swaying, not even opening and closing all the way, just swaying back and forth. A coffee mug flying off the shelf. Just major, right? Like the, the dish rack would just sit there rattling. It was... Now, my my thought about this is... I don't want to sound stereotypical, but these families are Mexican families, right? In a lot of cases, Mexican families are highly uh, Catholic. Am I wrong? And I'm not very religious, like, at all, right? So if... They, maybe they offended a spirit or something like that with their religion, which is scary because in most, case, most cases, I would think that would mean demonic presence, right? Um, because I think spirits just like, you know, freaking insects, like a bee, you know? Uh, if you don't bother them, they're not necessarily going to bother you in most cases. So that's... Hmm. That's what I would think would happen there. Maybe they had some sort of religion that they would practice often and it offended a spirit and, you know, chased them out. But yeah, those are my experiences... Those are some of the major ones that happen. There's a lot of little things here and there with family members. And here's a cool little thing. When I wasn't born, of course, um, my dad was a baby, right? And my grandma would tell me this story often. When my dad was a baby, her and her friends would get together and they would do silly little things. And one instance, uh, they brought a Ouija board out. Now, I don't know what question, I forget what question they were asking. But it kept spelling out baby, right? They ask it again and say baby. Ask another question and spell out baby. So my grandma finally gets up and goes checks on my dad, who's in a crib, right? How about my dad's in that crib, blue, choking on his teddy bear's eye? So... I know they say Ouija boards opens up things depending on who answers, right? You can't see my quotation, my finger quotations, but that Ouija board uh, saved my dad's life. So that's an interesting little something. But yeah, those are my experiences. I'm Bearded Breed. Thanks for having me on this show. Um, enjoy the rest of it. Thank you. Now let's hear a couple of doppelganger stories coming to us from the internet.
When I was nine, I stayed home sick from school. I distinctly remember that I wasn't actually sick, simply playing hooky to avoid bullying, as I did that a lot around that age. I awoke from a nap, turned on the TV in our living room, and scrolled through some channels with my mother suddenly leaned over the bar and stared at me without saying anything. I had been awake for a few minutes at this point, so I can't rightly blame sleep paralysis for all of this. Now, whatever this thing was, it was entirely identical to my actual mother. It sounds weird to describe, but it's as if the only difference was that this thing pretending to be my mom had never felt a single emotion in its life. It was unsettling. It beckoned me, and I attempted to talk to her as I would my mother. She kept beckoning, refused to answer, and that's when I sensed something horribly wrong. Naturally, I started screaming at this thing to answer me. It just kept beckoning. I bolted, running out of the room and into the yard yelling for help. My mother, the real one, had been working in the yard and came rushing over. I told her what I'd just seen, and she soothed me with easy explanations that it must have been a fever dream, but thankfully stayed by my side the rest of the afternoon as I was a nervous wreck. This story you just heard was found on Reddit and posted there by user Gay Fieri. Not only is that a great screen name, but it brings a whole new meaning to the term Flavortown. I remember one Sunday morning my brother and I were watching TV, and someone knocked on the door. We lived in an apartment that was empty. The owner hadn't rented the second floor. It was a two-bedroom apartment with a kitchen and a bathroom by the door. A small apartment, but with a big window that faces out to the door. So, when I heard someone knock, I checked the window, and I saw my father, or so I thought. I was going to the door to open it. When I was going to unlock the door, my mother pulled me away and screamed at me to not open the door because I didn't know who it was. I told her I saw my dad. She freaked out, going to the window and checking and then checking the peephole. She started to get terrified, and she said to go to the farthest room in the apartment and not to come out. She went and woke up my dad, and my real dad got up angry and confused. We told him what we saw, and the man was still knocking at the door. My dad screamed, Who is it? No answer. He said he will call the cops, but no response. While my dad was busy screaming at him, we saw that he was just standing still in front of the door. So, my mom took us to the farthest room from the door while my dad got ready to open the door with a metal bat. Once he did, the man was gone. My dad then goes out looking everywhere around the apartment. The apartment door was a heavy metal door and always was heard when someone comes in and out, but we heard nothing that morning and nothing when my dad opened the door. 
We heard no footsteps either, but my brother, my mother, and I saw that man that looked exactly like my father. The story you just heard was posted to Reddit by user Geobike. So, listeners, are you still skeptical or doubting of this whole doppelganger thing? Well, let me play you a clip that might just change your mind. When we first met these two minor league pitchers, we were amazed by their similarities. We're both 6'4". We're both 6'4". Red hair. The red hair, the red beard. Bushy, gingy beard. The glasses. Both wear glasses. Most amazing of all, they even share the same yeah. name, Brady Feigl. Outside, Outside of my, my family, family, I didn't think there were any Feigls. After their story first aired on Inside Edition last November, we got a lot of reaction, and almost everyone suspected the same thing. They had to be related. Maybe even long-lost twins separated at birth. The week that it hit TV, my phone blew up. I felt like I had to put it on airplane mode and put it down for eight hours and then just check it again because all the notifications and stuff coming in. Um, but now it, it is, I've had a ton of people. It's the first thing people say when they see me, like, oh, you're the, you're the one Brady Feigl, or how's the other one? How was it meeting and all that? And, you know, it, it's been fun. I, I haven't really had anything like that before. And, um, I mean, that comes from y'all, too, telling our story. It's awesome, and thank y'all for doing that. Are, Are we, we twins? twins? We're, We're about, about to find, find out. out. We arranged for a DNA test. All right, I got these two things, and I'm spitting into this. Yeah, so that's a little... Little tooth that I get to uh, spit into, I guess. You know, <laughs> there's so many similarities. I gotta say, somewhere way back down the line. When I was younger, I went to Ellis Island, um, and and we looked up Feigl and said that they came through from Germany through Ellis Island, which I thought was was pretty interesting. So I knew I knew I'm majority German, um, but I'm curious to kind of find out what what else. It'll be cool just to see where I come from more than anything. Interesting. Yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's just a weird, weird thought of me spitting into a little vial that's pretty much my family history. All right, we're all sealed up. Time to find out if we're related or not. I'm going to put it in the collection bag. We're going to seal it up and it's going to be that. Now it's time to come together for the results. At first, they were stunned. It says I'm 53% Germanic Europe. Stop. Are no. you? <laughs> no. You're kidding me. Yeah, mine's 53%. If they were actually identical twins, all the rest of their numbers would match yep. exactly. What about Ireland and Scotland? That goes with the red hair, huh? I got 2%. I got 10. Are you Italian at all? No Italian. Well, I got 4% of that. Our Brady Feigls find that they're not brothers or even related. So what we seem to have is a very bizarre coincidence of two total strangers who look alike happen to share the same name and occupation. What are the odds? That fascinating clip comes courtesy to us from Inside Edition. The story of the two Brady Feigls shows us that doppelgangers are indeed real. Now, they may not all be vicious paranormal entities, harbingers of doom, or omens of death. 
but it would seem from this news story they certainly exist in our reality which as proven can be stranger than any fiction the monsters layer podcast is made possible by the following people whom i'd like to credit logo and cover art design chief alan bailey music sound beds sound effects and audio go to the following people first and foremost i'd like to thank the band poor man's poison from hanford california for allowing me to use their song devil's price as the official monsters layer theme song poor man's poison consists of tommy mccarthy ryan hacker mike jacobs and dustin Maderos. additional credits go to Polly manners also known as the bearded breed host of the Bearded Breed podcast, and frontman for Metal Messiah for allowing me the use of songs from his band. The Mad Thinker, Mike Morgan, for original beats and sound beds. Find him on Instagram at madthinker with the number three in place of the E. Credit also goes out to Zachary Mueller, the owner of Void Productions, for background music, sound beds, and sound effects. Special thank yous go out to the following people. My wife, the dark, lovely, and witchy Christy Miller for constant support and understanding of me doing this passion project. My daughters, the heathens, Haley and Harper. My partners at the Myriad Podcast Network, the Bearded Breed, Polly Manners, the Dark Knight, Brandon Davis, Dank Lord Trap God, Christian Miller, also the bass player for the Moonjacks, the Nerdsman, and Abyss, a.k.a. Zachary Mueller of Void Productions. Thank you to Thomas Burrell and Burial 13 Apparel for support and appearances on the Monsters Lair. Shout out to Juvi Desayuno and Big Ren the Legendary from the Hard Camera Podcast for supporting the show and always shouting out my show on the air. Rest in power, Tom the Nightmare, Thomas Cunningham, the Monsters Lair former co-host, and my longtime friend. And last, but certainly not least, thank all of you, the listeners, for always tuning in and for your continued, constant support of the Monsters Lair. Thank you.